Well, I never thought I'd get to preach in New York City, but here we are. And uh, indeed, it is a blessing, and we are looking forward to this week as we come this morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And over the last few weeks, we have studied about the relationships that are to be present within the Christian church throughout First Timothy chapter 5. We begun by seeing uh, the redemptive nature and familial care that is to be present within the church, God's household of faith. We said that we are to appeal to older men as, as fathers and to younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. And so there is to be a family aspect within the household of faith, the church of the living God. And then we looked at the protection and provision that is to be provided for those within the church who have no protection or provision, no hope or help from anyone within this world, those widows who are widows indeed. And finally, we looked in the last two weeks at the protection and provision that is to be made from the local church for the elders who devote their lives entirely to facilitating the flow of the gospel by fulfilling the Great Commission in the making of the disciples in the context of the local church. Indeed, we've seen that the local church is to be a what? family. A family. We are to show care and compassion for one another just as if we were real family because truly we are those redeemed by Jesus Christ are the truest sense of family. Why? Because we will not just be here on this earth together, but we will be together for all eternity. So we saw that in all of these areas, the church's example is to be a redemptive, familial representation of God in the midst of a lost and dying world. But this morning we come and we turn our attention to yet another group. And it's a group that is unusual. We're not sure exactly what to do or how to respond when we see this group. This is a group that we don't have here today within Adamsville Baptist Church. It's a group that are slaves. And so Paul wants us to look at the relationship between slave and master. Now, it is true that there are no slaves here within Adamsville Baptist Church. Perhaps some of you would say, I'm property of the United States Air Force. I'm a slave. But you're not a slave in the sense that the the term was used in Paul's writing. Indeed, this does not, but this does not mean that we can slough it off, that we can shrug it off, that we can say, well, this exhortation in this, this passage of scripture has nothing for me. Let's just skip it, skip over this and go to the next section. For while it is indeed true that not all of the Bible was written to us, we must understand all of the Bible was written for us. Do you understand the difference there? While all of the Bible not, might not have been written to us, all of the Bible, which is God's eternal, enduring revelation of himself and of truth, is written for us. And so, though none of us today are slaves in the sense that Paul addresses here, the primary principle that we saw earlier in First Timothy still applies and is relevant for us even in our freedom and liberty. That primary principle that I am referring to is mainly that primary principle that we uh, enunciated earlier in our study of First Timothy, that indeed, if we have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ from a sinner into a saint, that our behavior is to be reflective of our belief. 
our belief is to be reflected in our behavior. Let's just say that together. Our belief is to be reflected in our behavior. One more time. Our belief is to be reflected in our behavior. That's an amazing statement. And it would be awesome if it were true. But the sad fact of the matter is, oftentimes it is not. For indeed, Paul is writing to set things in order to tell them how their conduct ought to show forth, as he says in in chapter 3, verse 15, how their conduct ought to be in order in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Do you realize that God has chosen you as his vessel to spread the gospel to the ends of the nation? He could stop all things. He could speak in a voice that overwhelmed the entire earth at one time in all the languages and tell everybody of his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. But no, he has chosen to redeem sinners, fallen sinners like you and like me and send us to take the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth so that they might hear and know and come to trust by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And yet here's the sad fact of the matter. Our belief is not reflected in our behavior. Because if it were, we would talk to the brother or sister, the mother or father, the daughter or son. We would talk to the friends and family who do not know Jesus Christ. And we would share with them and show them the gospel that has changed and transformed our life. It is indeed true that for you and I sitting here in June 2011 at Adamsville Baptist Church, that our beliefs are to be reflected in our behavior. And where we go and what we do and how we, say, how we talk and how we walk. Shouldn't the goodness of God's gospel reflect through your life and through my life today? Shouldn't it? It should. But the greatest barriers to the gospel witness of this congregation in our community is nothing else other than our lives. Let me say that one more time just in case you missed it. The greatest barriers to the gospel witness of this congregation in the midst of our community is nothing other than our lives. Because we don't show outside of these doors what we claim to believe inside of these doors. And when there's a disconnect like that, there's a problem. Goldsboro ought to be turned on its head because of the number of churches and the number of people who claim that they know and love and serve the living Savior through the gospel. And yet our lives will either commend the truth of God's gospel or they will undermine it. People will either look at our lives and say, well, you know, that man or that woman, he, what he or she believes is immediately credible to me because of the way he or she lives. Or they will look at our lives and they will say, you know, I wouldn't want to believe anything that that person believes because I know how he, she, he or she talks and I know how he or she acts and I know how he or she lives. And my question for you, which one are you in today? Are you in the category that commends the gospel to those who don't have it? Or are you in the category of those who are barriers to the gospel? 
Indeed, we understand that we are going to look today that the, that the fact is our belief in our sovereign God should affect our behavior, our testimony, and our witness that we indeed should be true servants of our sovereign God. And today, my question for you as we begin is, are you a true servant? Are you showing and sharing the gospel through your life in such a practical way that those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior see the difference and not only see the difference, but want to know and experience the difference that you have in your life? Let's stand now as we read together and see the true servants of a sovereign God. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own master as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Father, we ask this morning that as we come to the word of the Lord, that you who are the Lord of the word would take it and, Father, reveal our hearts. Reveal our problems. Reveal, Father, where we have not made much of you, where we are not in line with your desires. And, Father, allow us to see our sin and increasingly to surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to Jesus Christ as our sovereign Lord and Savior. Father, this morning we ask that your hand would lead us and guide us. And, Father, your spirit would write this word upon our hearts so that we go out differently than we came in, so that we indeed might not be an obstacle, Father, but we might be an opportunity for the gospel to go forward in the midst of our lost and dying world. Lord, we ask now for your leadership and guidance, Father, for the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate your word and enlighten our minds. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here in this passage that the life of the Christian is to be constrained by the gospel so that we bring glory to God in all areas and aspects of our life. The life of the Christian is to be constrained by the gospel so that we bring glory to God in all areas and aspects of our life. Indeed, we must understand that our beliefs should inform our behavior. Our belief on Sunday morning, what we say we believe on Sunday morning, should inform our behavior on Monday and not just Monday. But Monday through Saturday, all week long, we should not only say we believe the word of God, but we should behave as if we believe it, because that is where we will indeed bring glory to God and indeed testify to the truthfulness of the gospel. Now, you need to understand this. God's greatest concern is for his glory. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 through 8, we see his concern for his glory. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Now listen to what God says about his own name. I am the Lord. 
That is what? My name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not give my glory to another. I won't share it with anybody or anything else. I will not allow the praise that I am due to go to any other person, to any other created being. Why? Because I am the creator of the universe. Indeed, it is all by my grace and for my glory that I have created all that exists. And so we see here that God is intensely interested in his glory. And the natural outflow is if God is this concerned with his glory, that he would not let his glory go to another, that he would not let his praise go to a graven image. Indeed, shouldn't it flow that his people would be just as concerned about God's glory as he is. Shouldn't we? Indeed, we should. The shorter catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I've got to ask you this morning, is that true for you? Is that true in your life that your purpose is wrapped up with that statement to enjoy God And to glorify him is the greatest purpose of my life. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that that should be true. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any light, uh, anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. What is the purpose? That we would let our light shine, that we would be salt and light to this world to show and to share the gospel that indeed we would glorify God the Father in everything and that others might see that testimony and come to glorify him as well. This is true throughout the apostles writing as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31, we see Paul writing, writing to the church at Corinth and there he tells them as well that they ought to be concerned for God's glory, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also uh, also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. He says, my concern is what? To glorify God and to share the gospel so that other men might glorify God. If we look in Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 and then verses 23 and 24. It says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, you do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Finally, over in First Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. God is intensely, intensely concerned with his glory and as such you and I should be too. 
We should make sure that it's not about us, it's about Him. And my question for you is, do you glorify God in all you think, all you do, and all you say? The overarching goal of God in redemptive history is to glorify Himself by showing His dominion and His power, His judgment and His justice, His goodness and His grace, and show the plan of redemption that He has revealed within the Scriptures. So the concern of God is to reveal Himself, His goodness and His glory, and the concern of those that have received this gospel of grace and truth should be to testify to its veracity through our lives should be your goal to live in such a way that everybody knows the truthfulness of the gospel. See, in the confounding circumstances of life, Pastor, yes, even in the confounding circumstances of life, in the darkest and most difficult days of life, Pastor, yes, even in the darkest and most difficult of days, even when our families are failing and the money is funny, yes, especially then. Because, listen, the truthfulness of God's gospel of salvation that transforms us from a sinner to a saint is seen in those that glorify God and enjoy Him in the midst of life's circumstances and situations. It doesn't say, get saved so that God will change your circumstances and situations in the earthly life. It says, get saved so that your eternal status and standing before the living God will be changed and transformed. We need to make sure we understand that, and we'll say more about that in just a moment. But indeed, we see the life of the Christian is to be constrained by the gospel so that we bring glory to God in all areas and aspects of our life. First of all, we see this, that that the Christian is to show honor for all masters. The Christian is to show honor for all masters. Paul begins this passage by addressing a group of Christians that have a hard road to hope. Indeed, he says that this teaching is for all those who are under the heavy yoke and oppressive, uh, oppressive yoke of slavery. Now, in 21st century America, we might expect Paul to announce a revolt or, upri- or a political uprising to take down and destroy the evil and vile practice of holding other human beings as common property. But notice, Paul doesn't begin with a call to a violent revolution or a political uprising that will surely be cursed and crushed by the Roman Empire. Indeed, within the Roman Empire, there there is said to be at least 15 up to possibly as many as 33% of the Roman Empire was composed of slaves. Some have numbered the number as high as 60 million slaves within the Roman Empire. But Paul doesn't see the God-given answer to the moral evil of slavery as a political crusade, as a social overturning. Rather, he says, the testimony of the gospel of God's grace and redemption through the witness of the individual Christian is God's plan to share and to show His redemptive work in salvation to a lost and dying world. He doesn't say, turn over the world socially. He says, turn it over spiritually. Because... You're not supposed to look at things in the way that other people look. Now, we'll come back in, in our second point and we'll, issue, we'll deal with a little bit of the issue of slavery and whether it is right or wrong and why, you know, why we understand Paul didn't overturn it. He didn't say to have a political uprising or revolt, but he did say that in the midst of your slavery, you would be true servants, not of your 
masters here in this world, but of the master who is above all of this world. And here we see, we glean also an important lesson. It says there in in verse 1, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. He says, listen, exactly uh, where you God saved you is exactly where God intends for you to be a witness. There are some that say the only reason to receive God's offer of salvation is in order to change the circumstances and situations of our life. In other words, God is to us nothing more than a cosmic genie that changes our station and situation when we rub the magic genie bottle of prayer. And if you turn on the TV, you'll see the TV filled with preachers that are preaching this. They say, listen, God is nothing more than a cosmic genie. He just grants you whatever you want. So just rub the magic genie bottle of prayer and you'll get whatever you want. You'll be blessed. You'll have no sickness. You'll have uh, plenty of money. You won't ever have to pay a bill again in your life. Yeah, right. They're liars. For indeed, the view that God saves us simply to change our earthly situation here and now and to grant to us all of our whims and fancies, all of our wishes is not biblically accurate. We must understand God doesn't save us just so he can give us higher pay and better benefits, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a a husband or a wife, the conveniences and the comforts of this world. He saves us so that we might be changed and transformed from focusing on this earthly world that is passing away to focus on his eternal kingdom that is forever to come see it seeks the the message of man-centered work of salvation is contrary to holy scripture and it seeks ourselves and our stuff instead of god's glory and god's kingdom matthew 6 31 through 33 uh directly addresses this when jesus in the sermon on the mount uh speaks to his speaks to his followers and he says to them this do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows what you need uh, that you need all these things but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you see says don't seek yourself and your stuff you serve god and you serve god's savior and you trust that your god who has created something out of nothing will provide for all of your needs See, where God saved you is exactly where God wanted you to be his witness to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So businessman, if he saved you in the midst of working in a business in the business world, you'd be a witness there. Student, if he saved you in the midst of being a student at college or at high school or middle school or elementary school, you'd be a witness to the world of the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior there. Teachers, if he saved you, you'd be a witness in the midst of your school. 
indeed wives and husbands, if he saved you in the midst of a terrible marriage that is melting down, you be a witness in the midst of that marriage to God's glory and God's grace. If he saved you within the midst of a community that is depressed or oppressed, we need to be a witness there in the midst of that community. The matter of our circumstances is always to be subservient to the enduring fact our sovereign Savior has delivered us from condemnation and death so that we might love Him, so that we might serve Him, and so that we might share His grace and truth. You may have a legitimate concern. You may indeed have a sorry circumstance, a poor predicament, or a definite injustice that has been done. Paul says, you're a slave. But you need to understand, God saved you right where you were so that you could be a witness that you're no longer focused on the things of this world, but on the God who is over this world. And we walk by faith in our sovereign Savior, not by sight in this sorry, sin-filled world. So we trust that the living, that living for God's glory is more valuable than anything this world could offer and more precious than anything death could take away. We need to live like it. We need to show that indeed God's goodness and grace to us in the gospel has changed us so that we do do not live for ourselves any longer, but we live for our Savior because this is the God we serve, a God who made us perfect and pure in His image, made us for a perfect and pure relationship with Himself, and yet we rejected and reviled Him. We went against Him. We turned our backs upon Him and walked away and said we'll do things our own way we're not going to listen to your commands God and yet he still loved us enough to send his only begotten son to live perfectly and purely according to all the commands he had given so that we indeed might see that his son Jesus Christ was the perfect and pure sacrifice that was offered as a substitute for our sins there on the cross of Calvary that indeed in him he bore the the penalty of your sin and my sin so that we might be set free he died and was buried but then praise God he rose again on the third day to signify that God had overcome sin death and hell he had overcome all of the constraints of this world so that indeed those who would receive Jesus Christ by faith and live for him would be witnesses sharing and showing that the gospel has changed and transformed our lives. We need to ask ourselves, are we witnesses where God has planted us? Why would we live this way? Why would we honor those that have laid the great weight of slavery across the shoulders of of the subservient so that the gospel message of redemption through Jesus Christ might go forward so that the name of God and the doctrine of salvation for sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone might go forward so that the name of God and the doctrine of our salvation for sinners by... uh, would not be blasphemed or mocked in any way. You see the correlation. The belief of the Christian directly reflects in the behavior of the Christian. And if our behavior doesn't reflect our belief, it opens up God's name and God's word to blasphemy. And you know whose fault that is? 
The barrier isn't because of the people outside of the church. The barrier is the people in the church. The greatest barrier to the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth in the midst of our community and culture is the life of individual Christians. That's the reality. Paul expects Christian slaves to, do, to so care about their witness to God and to the truth of the faith that they bear witness in their service and attitude, even in, a dreadful per, in the midst of dreadful personal conditions. And we must understand that in a 21st century America that says, I'm just concerned about me, my, and mine, and that's all I care about, that's all I want, we must understand that is directly opposed to being most concerned about Jesus Christ and His glory and his kingdom going forward. Why do I say that? Because I have looked at my life. I have studied my life. I have gone back through the years and I have been convinced that indeed when I am most concerned for my name, for my rights and for my stuff, that is when I am least concerned with and useful to God's kingdom. Paul says, don't be concerned about your rights. Don't be concerned about the fact that you are in a bad situation. Don't be consumed with your sorry circumstances. You trust that God has saved your soul for the purpose of being a a son or daughter of the Most High and a witness to His glory in the midst of our sorry predicament. See, when I'm most concerned for my name and my rights and my stuff, it is when I am least concerned with and useful to God's kingdom for indeed, John Piper has said it well uh, when, when he says he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. First John chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, we see there the, the fact that we... We need to have lives that are transformed by the gospel. If we say that we have fellowship with Christ and with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you, dear brothers and sisters, has God forgiven you today? Has God cleansed you from all unrighteousness? Then let me ask you, if He has, and you would say today that you are a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convince and to convict a jury of your family and peers that you indeed have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does your life bear witness to what you say you believe? Does your behavior live out what you say you believe on Sunday morning? If this is the word of God and it has revealed all things pertaining to life and godliness and it tells us how to live our life, are we living and behaving like we say we believe? And if we are not, we need to be warned again to consider our salvation and whether we even know God's sovereign son and savior, Jesus Christ. See, where God saved you is exactly where God wants you to be a true servant of his kingdom and witness to his gospel. We are to honor all masters. 
But secondly, not only are we to honor all masters, we are especially to honor the Christian masters. The Christian is to show honor for Christian masters. See, Paul further exhorts the slave that is bound to a believer this time to fulfill their duty as well. In other words, don't take advantage of an eternal relationship with your brother in the midst of this earthly realm by rejecting and reviling him in your place of service. Don't don't be rude. Don't disrespect your master because, listen, your eternal relationship does not supersede your earthly responsibility. Now, once again, this is in in no way an endorsement of slavery. In fact, it is a practical teaching on how to further the gospel, a focus that indeed the church is to be evangelistic in the midst of all places, in the midst of all times, in the midst of all setting. Our great concern should not be with ourselves and our stuff. It should be with what? God's glory and gospel going forward. Paul surprises us, though, doesn't he? Isn't this surprising what Paul says about slaves here in this passage? See, we would expect for him to give an emancipation proclamation, wouldn't we? But he doesn't. He doesn't call for emancipation. Instead, he gives instructions to Christian slaves to follow in whatever context they find themselves. Now, what what do we make of that? How do we deal with this? This offends our modern 21st century America ideals and sensibilities. We're expecting the New Testament to speak out against the horrible condition, the social evil that we call slavery. How do we explain that it doesn't do this? Well, first of all, let me encourage you to read the book of Philemon later on this afternoon. Because Paul elsewhere makes it clear that if a Christian who is a slave has an opportunity to become free, he ought to take it. Paul recognizes that slavery is not a condition that is desirable under the creation order of God. He speaks to the master Philemon about the runaway slave Onesimus, and he seeks to mitigate some of the difficulties and hardships entailed in slavery. He says to free him for the furtherance of the gospel, that he is to set him free so that the gospel might be go forward in the midst of this world. Notice that Paul does not ground his teaching on slavery in this passage on how a Christian ought to respond or how, how slavery is justified according to God's law or creation order. He rather grounds his teaching on how the Christian ought to respond in the midst of the condition of slavery in a positive, positive teaching For God being king and Lord over all. See, when Paul gives the order of marriage, he grounds that in what? The order of creation. He says, listen, husbands, you are to love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. And this is the order of creation. When he says to children, children, in your relationship with your parents, you are to obey, submit yourselves to your parents. Why? Because the moral law of God commands it that you would obey your parents. For this is the first commandment with a promise. That it might be well with you and you might live live long upon the earth see paul bases those two commands in the moral law of god and in the creation order of god 
But slavery is not grounded in that. And in fact, if you look at 1 Timothy 6, you will note that Paul does not ground his teaching anywhere in a biblical reference to this matter. That is because slavery is an institution of a fallen world and the Bible mitigates, constrains, and attempts to mark out proper actions within the bounds of the relationship of slavery. But it never condones it, sanctions it, or argues that slavery is somehow the way it ought to be. In fact, when slavery is taken up within the Old Testament law, we see within the law of Moses that the primary concern is that the slave would in no way be abused or misused. We need to understand that. It does not condone slavery. He doesn't ground slavery in the creation ordinances or the moral law of God. No, slavery is an institution of the fallen world that the Old Testament and New Testament teaching manages and mitigates rather than condoning. Ultimately, all humanity should be honored because we have all been created in the image of our Creator. God has given the Imago Dei to to the human beings who are created in His image. And so freedom, liberty, and honor for all human beings are Christian principles and foundations. Notice the reason Paul goes on to say that they should obey or submit themselves to their Christian brothers. Because they are brothers. They are fellow believers. And they are beloved. And so you ought to serve them so that the gospel goes forward. The reason is right in line with the reason that all masters are to be honored. It should especially be true that the relationships among Christians should never be self-serving and self-seeking. Our goal is to honor God by focusing not on ourselves, but on His glory and on His kingdom. Now the reality is that we often try to manipulate or take advantage of those Christian relationships. We may work for a fellow Christian and we may say you know what it doesn't matter if I slough off it doesn't matter if I don't do anything if I just sit around and waste time all day long maybe I can appeal to him and say hey brother so and so sister so and so you don't mind if I just goof off for a little while do you see We tend to try to take advantage of one another, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. For the Christian is to have the best work ethic of anybody around. In verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. In verse 23, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that the Lord will... Uh, you will, from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Let me ask you today, for those who are Christians in the midst of this congregation, who is your boss? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is who you serve. Don't waste your time on Facebook and email and text message and personal calls all day long. How in the world can you be a vibrant witness to the world? If you just waste your time and don't work diligently. How in the world could you possibly get pulled over on the side of the road and manipulate the situation in such a way that you would say, Oh, officer so-and-so, well, brother, I saw you at church last week. Take the ticket and tell him thank you. (laughs) Say thank you. He's doing his job. Let him do his job and let him do it faithfully and don't try to manipulate the situation. 
You work hard. Don't be on YouTube all day. Is that hard? I mean, it's not. It's practical. Intensely practical. The Christian employee ought to be the best worker within the workplace. It thrilled my heart when I went to First Citizens Bank during seminary. I was the first student from Southeastern that worked at First Citizens Bank in their uh, security area. And it was a praise to the living God. First of all, he provided expenses for my seminary. And I came out of seminary debt-free because First Citizens Bank actually paid every dime of my seminary degree. Praise God for that. But you know what I was able to give them in return? Eight hours a day. Hard days. Long days. Hard work. Indeed, difficult work. Hard times. Difficult situations. Hard to be upbeat. But I knew I was serving God and not man. And I worked for Him and I worked as hard as I could. And praise God, when I left, there had been six Southeastern students hired and brought on. And you know why they kept bringing on Southeastern students? Because they were the ones that did the work. They were the ones that wanted to work. They wanted to serve the Lord because they were not serving men. They were serving God. And at the end of the day, they knew the ones that they could count on most were those who were Christians who named the name of Christ and who served him as king. And if anything, the Christians should always be known for their diligence, for their timeliness, for their honesty, for their respect and their zeal. Because our treasure is not in this world. It is in the world that is yet to come. But it is a reward that is stored up in the kingdom that that will come at the end of time. And the greatest testimony to God, to this world and to the non-believers is that we do not believe in the slogan, he who dies with the most toys wins. We believe in the slogan, he who serves God will forever be vindicated why should we live this way because we have a different perspective we know life is not fair is it have you figured that out yet life's not fair is it some of us go through situations that are horrible He didn't bring them upon ourselves. We don't see how in the world these things happen, but we know life is not fair. And we know that indeed in the midst of the sin-filled world, we're going to have some sad and sorry circumstances. We know that, but we know that our hope does not ultimately come from our comforts, our conveniences, or even our compensation packages. Our hope, our help comes from the Lord. We root our happiness and our hope in God's gracious and glorious gospel that Jesus Christ came as a true servant for sinners so that we could be forgiven of the penalty of sin and freed from the power of sin in the midst of this life. For indeed, when we read 1 Peter chapter 2, following up on that passage that we read at the beginning of the service, verses 21 through 25, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being reviled he did not revile in return while suffering he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed and that is glory to god 
And it changes our perspective because now the yoke, the bondage of sin and slavery has been lifted. And in its place, we have been made sons and daughters of the Most High. And it is because, indeed, the fact of the matter is, He who knew no sin became sin for you and I, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. And the fact is that when we believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, the life of the Christian is to be constrained by the gospel so that we bring glory to God in all areas and aspects of our life. And the question for you and I this morning is, number one, do I know Christ Jesus? And am I living for the glory of God? And number two, Number two, moment by moment, am I making the most of His glory? Am I consistently, day by day, offering a witness, sharing a testimony to the fact that God has graciously transformed me by His grace and for His glory? As we come to the end of our message today, I want to challenge you. Don't look at your circumstances and your situations. You look at God's Savior. Don't just look at the stuff of this world. It doesn't matter if you're a butcher or a baker or candlestick maker. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are and whatever you do, the biggest question you can ask, and I, am I glorifying God in everything I do and say? That's the question of eternity. And the way to fulfill that is to surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ first and foremost and to walk in it moment by moment each and every day. As we go forward, Father, as we go out this morning, may you lead us in this time of decision, Father, to commit ourselves to loving you more, to glorifying you more, to seeking you and serving you in the midst of whatever the situation and circumstance of life is. For indeed, Lord, we understand that that in the midst of our time today, we are called, Father, called as your church to live for your glory. And Father, we can do that by showing in practical ways day by day that we are not committed to this earthly realm, but we are secure sons and daughters of the eternal realm. Lord, we ask that you would make us witnesses where you have saved us. Father, we ask that indeed we would be useful to your kingdom, committed to your kingdom by focusing on you and Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, and not on ourselves, and not on our stuff. Lord, today, let us lay down our lives and live increasingly for you, moment by moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We come to the end of the service and have this hymn of invitation.